Hi everyone and welcome to Conversations Over Coffee with Tony and Dee, or Dee and Tony, or Deirdre, if you... <laughs> and Anthony. If you say this <laughs> And uh, this is our first uh, podcast for 2022. 2022, hey? We thought we'd ever make it. Do you mean as a couple or as a humans well, no, or? No, couple were a couple were fine as as humans. It was it was nice to put twenty twenty one behind us, but twenty twenty two. I don't know if it's going to be any different. Do you see any difference between this year and last year, or any hopes for this year that you perhaps can put together as a result of the experiences of last year? Well, had we been doing this at the beginning of last year, which I don't think we were. I would have said 2021 will be an unpredictable year because we knew that vaccines were coming in, but we didn't know when. We knew that COVID was around and that there would be lockdowns, and we knew that our state, along with Queensland and Western Australia, even Tasmania actually, were likely to close borders pretty swiftly if there were a few cases. So it made it difficult to do any planning for travelling, and it turned out that it was unpredictable. We planned a number of trips interstate and never went anywhere. <laughs> so mm, they true. were, and that was timing because there were lockdowns or there were increased numbers. For 2022, I'm less inclined to do much planning and just wait a bit and see how things go. The difference is that in 2020, 2021, we were trying a su- suppression strategy, were we? or an elimination strategy in the country. We were trying to get rid of COVID. Yes, I think we might have been trying the the ostrich technique. (laughs) (laughs) But we're definitely on let it rip now. (laughs) We we are no longer burying our heads in the sand, I think. But I don't know, because you have have a view around this, don't you? I'm not confident about that at all. So what I think is that they plan, they pushed and pushed to open the borders before Christmas so that Scott Morrison could be seen as the saviour of Christmas so people could, you know, meet up with their families, etc., would have a normal Christmas, so to speak. And then Omicron hit. They didn't pause. They just let everything happen. So all of the work that... It feels like all of the work that we've done for two years in lockdown, keeping borders closed and everything, with the notable exception of Western Australia, who still only have a few cases, suddenly it's all exploded and we have there are thousands upon thousands of cases in New South Wales. That's the worst hit state. And But even here, we have an unbelievable number compared to what we've ever had. Well, we had before. zero for months. For, for a long we had, time. That's about right. A year. That's right, yes, very, very few men. And we were bragging about and it. We, we <laughs> thought we were the greatest country on the face of well, this planet. Well, there's a lesson, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it don't, is. We've been slapped in the face. Don't do that. So I don't have any comfort. I don't think there was any plan for, for what happened in terms of the letting it go. I think it just happened, to be honest. And I think that the the premiers and the prime minister were caught behind. They were committed by then to opening the borders and that's what they were going to do, come hell or high water. And that has happened with the exception of Western Australia and all of the states now have lots of uh, COVID happening. So Omicron's kind of the variant that says, you know, I don't care how good you were before or what you thought of ways by which you could manage the virus, 
I'm going to bugger you up. No matter what, yeah. I'm going to bugger you up. But also on top of that, I think that states, uh, state premiers um, had to open up at some point, though, didn't they? Probably. That, that is probably true. They could have been a little bit more cautious with this new variant, is my point. I guess my point is not just with the new variant, but because we knew that we needed the booster, so three shots, they could have rolled that out and brought that mm. forward. So brought forward the time, you know, the the months between the second booster and the, uh, the second shot and the third. Um, so they could have reduced that time, as we saw that was reduced in the United Kingdom and the in the United States. So it was inevitable that it would come forward, but they seemed very tardy with that. So that, like the rest of the vaccine rollout, which hasn't impacted on us personally, but we know that it's been very tardy and not very well organised, and leaves me with zero faith in the army because it was an army dude running, rolling that out. So I, I just have zero confidence in our army right now, and I hope we don't pick a fight with anyone because I think we'll lose. Well, probably. I'm surprised that we won anything at all, yeah. if we ever have won anything. <laughs> the go- for me, the governments look very incompetent right now they they weren't prepared and if they had paused with the border opening they could have got better mm. prepared so I, I know i look to you you know as the doctor in the house <laughs> as, to, as to your professional opinion <laughs> about everything omicron <laughs> do you think we not could? a good idea <laughs> No, no. Doctors of philosophy don't do very well at heart transplants and stuff like that, oh, do they, really? Oh, no, zero. No, zero, we, can, no. we can talk to you about the meaning of life endlessly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, life goes on endlessly, doesn't it? <laughs> Seems to. Yeah. Life, big girl life. But I guess uh, one of the things is, you know, could we have locked down? Should we have locked down? Uh, would the public have accepted another lockdown? And do we accept this as... Uh, like the Premier of New South Wales, um, what's his name, Pitua? <laughs> Dominic Perrottet. Oh, Dominic Pitua Perrottet. <laughs> um, yes, he's just so, he's such an economic rationalist that I think he believes that opening up is the greatest thing for the economy but the worst thing in terms of health. Like, he doesn't care whether people die. I've not, it, it, it does certainly appear that way. It's, I can't give a quantitative answer but it appears from chatter around the place that many people had to cancel, as we did, Christmas Day arrangements because people suddenly being in quarantine and or yeah, or stuck somewhere that they didn't want to be stuck, that people, and again like us, suddenly didn't want to go out anywhere because they might say it's like the flu, but I've had the flu and I don't want to have anything that's like the flu if I can possibly avoid it, so why am I going to run around and put myself in danger? Yeah, but we didn't matter when, when during flu, flu season. It wasn't like you hibernated either, was it? Just had the flu injection and we just did what we needed to do. But So if, is it is it going to be... Just like the flu, this is what I, this is what I, I wonder about. To my astonishment, somebody on Twitter said today that they'd never had the flu, and I thought, gosh, there's a person in the world who's never had the flu. They must live in a cave somewhere. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I mean, I think when I started teaching, I probably got the flu more than I'd ever had it before, and I think that's just being around people, you know, in classrooms mm, and things like mm. that, and then bringing it home to everybody else in the household. Well, the upside is that for the last two years we haven't had the flu either. Well, that is the because upside. Because we've been keeping away from people Pe- generally, yeah, and we've yeah. been Zooming from home and all that sort of stuff. So less contact with people, 
the greater the health advantages are. So maybe that's the lesson. <laughs> the lesson Just for the rest away. of our lives, no Just matter stay what. Stay away from people. Keep away from people because they're friggin' contagious. That's true. I, I guess the other thing that was, I'm not sure what the word is. I wasn't upset by it. I was a bit gobsmacked by it perhaps that our Prime Minister decided to call a National Cabinet meeting and then told us in the meeting that he called that so in in the media conference to preempt that national cabinet meeting he told us about the new definition for a close contact the pre-media conference the pre-media so he set it all up so he set it all up as if to say i'm going as if to say i'm going to go in and tell the premiers what this is and it turned out that it was you had to be in a household or a household situation which would be something like residential care particularly for aged care for four hours. Yeah, yeah. And then the, but the, don't we know that this particular variant is highly contagious? So do we really need to be with somebody for no, four the t- hours? No, no, clearly, clearly what he was saying, I think, is that the, the Omicron has a time schedule. <laughs> and, and automatically at three, three hours, 99 minutes, it says, I'm going to get these buggers. <laughs> and it attacks you. There were certainly lots of funny memes. One in particular, I remember a couple lying in bed saying, well, I've been here for three hours and 49 minutes. I better go because otherwise I'll get COVID. So I noticed that they've changed that now. And they're saying they changed that in minutes. South Australia. Have I they don't changed know. in other states? I'm not sure. I haven't been attending well, this, to is that. Is this because we're the superior state? Well, I said, well, be. I We've think our health minister... Well, it sounded to me as if our health minister here went on ABC Radio the day after the 26th of December and said, no, that's not what we're doing, what we're doing, and no, that's not what we agreed to, and no, the medical professions didn't agree to that. This is what we're going to do, and that's 15 minutes in the presence of somebody who's been tested positive, which sounded a little bit more realistic. The other thing was not to go... The other other concerning things was not to go rushing around getting tested, except that was no rush because the lines were so long. I know of one woman who was in a line for 26 hours. 26 hours? 26 hours because she needed to get into the Northern Territory and she had to have this test done and that was all crazy. We also know from our own experience that you could get tested on the 24th of December and then bang, there goes your Christmas plans because you didn't get the results back for five days mm, or mm. more. And the other thing is the rapid antigen tests where they've not provided those. So as soon as they said, go get a rapid antigen test, we found out that there were none available yeah. in I South went, Australia. I went and tried to get some myself because the kids were here. So yeah. I wasn't able to. And that, yeah, so, and that they are, though, offering them... T- Free to those people that are close contacts, apparently. Are they? Because that's the other so, discussion. Do we I have think. to pay for them? And we've seen some price gouging happening where somebody's gone and bought one one day and it's more than twice the cost the next day when they've gone in to purchase them. The supply has dried up. I can understand them not giving them out willy-nilly, but I certainly agree with the idea that if you are a close contact and therefore you contact the health department that they issue an anti, um, a, a rapid antigen test. I love the idea that it's a rat test. I that's so that's funny. So the chasers had this great joke 
this week, but you know how New, how New South Wales had a mouse plague earlier in the year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now we've gone from a mouse plague to zero rats. <laughs> And, and, we, and, and we you want have to buy the rats. And you have to buy the rats once <laughs> yeah, more. Yeah, that's right. And the rats keep Sudden, doubling in price. Suddenly, <laughs> rats right. are very precious. <laughs> well, rats are becoming very popular, apparently. Apparently, yeah. We how want in, them infested in how, our homes. How interesting is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they've changed. So they keep. I guess the point is, though, they keep changing the rules. So it seems, and it's almost as if. Do you think the states chose, like Steve Marshall here in South Australia? chose to go against what um, what Morrison was attempting to say in his pre-press conference? I think that Marshall, it looks like from the, the National Cabinet meeting, it appears as if everybody agreed and then later on they, not so much. Mm. And of course, Western Australia, good on him, was always an exception. <laughs> he was yeah. always going to do his own thing. I think there was more concern in the community about Marshall kind of letting it rip, basically, that we'd had nothing here and all of a sudden the community is in a panic because we have COVID where we had none. But will the community revolt, do you think, against uh, the fact that there are so many infections now? I think they will. And that they'll see this as a poor political decision at the end of the day? I don't think I'm the only one thinking they've stuffed it up and that they shouldn't have done it in that way. So there were people calling for so the So you're basically saying they opened. shouldn't have opened up? Because no, they should have paused and rethought strategy. That's what they should have done, made sure they had boosters in place, made sure that testing was adequate because there's a lot of inadequacies been shown up. Yeah. So the, in actual fact, they should have thought that through before then opening up the borders. And I guess they should have known that people were going to panic around testing once the virus became endemic within within this state. Don't you think they should have known that instead of the 10, 12, 13,000 testings they were doing, that it was going to rise to limits which Absolutely. they couldn't be able to cope? And also, as somebody pointed out, they've been telling us for two years to go and get tested. Yeah. So and suddenly they change the rules and don't go and get tested? Who don't? Go and get tested. Well, that's the, the, the new rules are don't go don't if you're don't, as, right, asymptomatic. Go. So they've changed the rules now. So they spend two years telling us to do one thing. I don't understand that asymptomatic thing because an asymptomatic person is someone that has the virus but shows no symptoms. But you don't know that you've got the virus if you're so asymptomatic. So how can you be asymptomatic? <laughs> no, so, so, so you don't... So let me understand this. You don't so get tested if you're asymptomatic but you could be asymptomatic and still have the virus. Yeah, totally. And if you got tested as an asymptomatic person, it could come up positive, could yes. it not? So, so there are a lot of so asymptomatic... Really <laughs> God, do so I, I look confused? Am I stupid or I know, does it not make any sense? It, it really is very stupid because for two years they were telling us to go and get tested even if you had a sniffle, if you had any of those COVID-type uh, symptoms, and then all of a sudden, when the and after the event, so everything's opened up. There are too many people in testing lines trying to get into state for travel. That was part of it, but being tested and because of the rampant spread of the virus, and then suddenly they decide that we shouldn't be tested because now they've run out of resources, basically. Yep. So there's no planning. So that's why I have zero faith in the army. You think, oh, my God, didn't you think this through? So they weren't planning. Yeah. And they should have because there was plenty of information 
we'd already seen that coming in from the United States and the United Kingdom in particular of this rise in variant and lots of lots of comment about it being less uh, less um, intense I suppose less severe less severe less worrying in that way but who wants to get sick well, who wants? To, I mean, there are still people being hospitalised. That's true. And the hospitalisations are increasing. It was fair. I said and predicted at the outset because I'm a philosopher of note <laughs> and a soothsayer, mm-hmm. and I believed that that it was exponential based on the number of uh, people that were infected. So the more people that get infected, proportionally less people might go in hospital, but still will be There's an increase in number. Lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. was right. I was dead right. They don't listen to they. They don't listen Why to you and I. <laughs> this is the thing that I don't understand. I think they should be ringing us up and saying, hey, we've got this situation. We're planning on opening the borders, but we've heard of this new variant. What do you think we should do? And I would have said pause. That's right. Don't say you're not going to open the borders, but rethink things. Do you have enough testing stations? Yeah. Do you have enough this? Do you have enough that? Do Before you have enough capacity? Are you sane? Is a really good question. <laughs> you know, and I think that I think they should bring before they go to national cabinet. They should look for the the, the Deirdre and Tony. That's D, exactly. The Why haven't we been invited? That's r- actually I am not confused. even Albanese has been invited, so we've got no hope. But <laughs> well, actually, we might have more hope than him really, when you think about it. Do you yeah. see? I saw it with a hat not on. Not if today. they saw some of my tweets. He <laughs> was on. He was on television today with a a very large brim hat. That made his head look like a a, go, a golf ball. It was, oh, uh, was it outside? It was, was outside. It? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause they're all doing it outside today. Marshall was outside. Morrison was outside. They're all under well, trees. Nice they're in day. parks. Yeah, uh, you know. Now, has Albanese still got his suit on? No, he, he had his suit on, but no tie. Oh, but oh, he's taking okay, a step so in the right re- direction. Yeah. So I reckon at this rate, given a week, we'll see him naked. <laughs> because I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday where. We were thinking that Scott Morrison does that adapt to the audience much better than Albanese. So Albanese still seems to have his suit on and his tie on. And and you have to say, standing outside in Australian summer with your suit and your tie on, we're going to think you're English, not Australian, if you do that sort of thing. um, A bit of a wanker. Well, Marshall, the South Australian Premier. He he always does. He was outside today with his suit. I mean, it's lovely looking out our window right now because I've got the blind up. It's a fabulous day, isn't it? But it's, it's warm. But yeah, so but why it's a beautiful wear, day. Why I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you wear a T-shirt or something? A T-shirt or a saying, shirt or you know, COVID sucks sleeve. or something like that. I mean, <laughs> or you could have a little motto. Do you remember Don Dunstan with his... Um, he went safari with, suit. With his, and going to Parliament with his shorts on. Yeah, yeah, it was a short <laughs> safari suit he had. That was a short-term protest, wasn't it? Because nobody picked that up. <laughs> they did. They did. Well, they, well, they, they picked it up. The newspapers objected and he was on the front page of the newspaper. But, and it, but it didn't become a trend, is what I mean. They all went back on. to their boring old suits. I had a safari suit. Did you? I did. I loved my safari suit. It was actually, it was actually a pink-purple but not in but but not in Parliament House. I could have worn it into Parliament House, but no one ever <laughs> invited me. <laughs> so, so I guess he he did make that protest about the silly fashions, but it didn't really last or take in Parliament in Parliament House. Do we lose respect for somebody if they don't have a suit? Well, on? it was like it was like Nick Xenophon going into because they had an all night session once. He turned up in his pajamas. He was very good like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I remember that of Nick. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't you know, remember that. And I've often thought that if ever I make it to Parliament, please vote for us in the next state election, Child Protection Party. But um, if I was... I, I think I'd like to not wear a tie 
and see what they say. Is there a dress code? There's a standing order about a dress, I think. There's not, is there a behaviour code, a, co- a code of conduct? Yes, there is, definitely. There is, even yeah. though they do behave badly, as they we've get kicked heard. Out. They get kicked out from time to time. Oh, but what about things like sexual harassment and bullying that goes on behind outside of the chamber? No, uh, no, the Speaker or the um, President only has control over what happens. He's like, no, that's not true. I think they have some legislative powers around... Because it is like their office. Their is, workplace. Is their, workplace. Is their workplace. Is the, so they are kind of responsible for that. I guess complaints are supposed to go to them uh, generally. But normally it's the departments that manage the complaints or the parliamentary secretaries. I do remember this year. Sorry, I'm talking about my ass. I'm not too, I'm not yeah, sure about know. all of this. No. I know there were complaints about um, about Parliament House broadly, not the Chamber, and bullying and sexual harassment in the South Australian Parliament. Remember, we've had all the furor. Mm. We know what goes on in Parliament. doesn't matter what they wear. Their behaviour does not quite come up to the way that they look sometimes. Well, clearly, clearly when they're not in, not, in, not <laughs> sitting in Parliament, they're naked. <laughs> they're doing, doing some terrible things. Doing some terrible... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's interesting that symbolism of the suit as being respectable when in many cases they're not... Their behaviour is not very respectable or acceptable. No, but everything's about appearance. Until they open their mouths and start yelling crap at each other yeah. and uh, insulting each other. Are you thinking about Buffhead? Well, I was, I was, thinking, I was thinking about um, uh, Abbott and, his, and the misogynist comments made to Julia Gillard and that thing we saw recently where... Yeah, Gillard it's a very strong leader, the documentary on SBS. Yeah, yeah, that was good. I thought. Yes, but he was quite shy. I, I was a little bit taken aback, though, because you know how I've said a couple of times that I think Morrison has integrity deficit disorder and an honesty deficit disorder. I was a bit taken aback because apparently, and in fact I heard this in that documentary, Tony Abbott said about Julia Gillard that she had truth deficit disorder. Well, I So think I don't feel so clever now. I think... No, well, it was clever at the time because you hadn't heard what Tony I Abbott had said. I hadn't heard what he said. <laughs> but I, I do think that Morrison has uh, ADHD, which is adult deficit hyperactivity <laughs> disorder. <laughs> he's not an adult. Is That's that what right. you're saying? He's childish. He's adult deficit. He's, uh, yes. So he's without adulthood. He's not adulting he's not very adult. well. He's, he's very immature yes. in the way he behaves. Did you see the photo of him yesterday with the big fish? Big Barramundi that apparently would have cost quite a lot of money, and he would have purchased this Barramundi for then the he's photo pretended op. To, yeah, yeah, of course, and pretended to cook it or something. And then there's lots of memes going around saying, "Hey, everybody, look at what I've caught! This nice big Barramundi. Homeless people. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to miss out." Yeah. Well, who did he share it with? Yeah, who did he share it with? Yes. So that last year offered some really interesting turnabouts. No, I mean there was that. Also, the, uh, the stuff we just talked about, really, the sexual assault in Parliament House. The inquiry came out in relation to that. Um, Frydenberg stood over one of his own members. Uh, was it Frydenberg? Or it was Frydenberg, Frydenberg yes. Over. We talked about that in a previous we post. We did. Um, and uh, what's the name? Tame. Uh, Grace Tame. Yeah, was the Australian of the Year, and she did a lot of stuff around sexual assault. There's a lot of stuff throughout the year around domestic violence. She did a lot of criticism of Scott Morrison throughout the year as well. She was not going to be tame or tamed. Well well done. Yes, she wasn't tamed by the parliamentary 
by the politicians. And I bet you they wanted, they've actually probably amended the award now so they can take it off people <laughs> if they don't do the right thing. <laughs> if they're critical. Defrock them. <laughs> defrock. Oh, defrock. Defrock them. No, that's Only not if they're willing. No, they wouldn't defrock. You, you only do that in the church when you you're a bloke. You could deduct them, if they're, which is an Australian term for pants. You could deduct them if they're you a male. Could. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but go back to that. Don't you think that's funny? Somebody mentioned this recently about priests being defrocked. And the person was saying, is that really the right term? This, Do is, you rather mean divergent. this is rather divergent is. conversation. But don't you think that's hilarious that all these men in dresses have the potential to be defrocked, but they really are quite misogynistic? I'm thinking about often church members, people who run churches. But they wear dresses and they can be defrocked. They, but they're well, not fond of women, and they don't want women in power. You're generalising a wee bit here, I think. Oh, oh, absolutely. Not all churches are like that. And not all churches are run by men. Only, no, the only most 99% of them. Only 99% of them. <laughs> most of them. But you're right. <laughs> I know. I've got that. That was the defrocked. Yeah. Yep. So back to last year. Now that we've done that. It was the defrocking that was a problem with Brittany Higgins. You know, we don't want to necessarily talk about defrocking in the context of Parliament House because they seem to do some of that. And so it's it was a not pretty a good thing. I guess it was a pretty full year in terms of some of the issues. Omicron, Delta and other stuff aside, it was a pretty full year, wasn't it, in terms of the way they confronted um, these issues. You know, like there were lots of issues that needed to be confronted, and were. But I wonder, you know, out of all of that, what has changed? <laughs> Funnily enough, isn't that interesting? And then, of course, we had lots of protests on the streets from people that we would not perhaps normally associate protesting on the street with, with in terms of people protesting, particularly in Victoria, Dan Brown's, Dan Andrews. Dan Brown. <laughs> did that Did that again. You, yeah, you have. I you. do that quite often. Um, Dan Andrews' legislation, but there were protests across the country as well. Yes, it was a big year, wasn't it? It seemed to be yeah, what would change, probably nothing. It was massive. It was a massive year. And it interests me that as dominant as the virus was, as the pandemic was, I guess, they still, there was still space for some of these other contentious issues. Now, I wonder... Had we not had the virus, how the, those other issues may have been dealt with? May they have been more front page? Um, were they front page enough? Did we have enough conversations around all of those issues from sexual assault to domestic violence and whatever, um, the way parliamentarians, parliamentarians behave? Did we have enough conversations around those issues or did the, the COVID uh, obscure the way some of those conversations should have been. It's, it's an interesting suggestion that perhaps it did. I'm not sure that it did because by the end of the year we did have Kate Jenkins' report around how bad Parliament House is in terms of a workplace because of mm. widespread sexual harassment and bullying. Uh, so that came towards the end of the year. I guess I, I, I wonder whether these... It, on the one hand, I think, why are we having this conversation now? It feels like... We've been doing this for a long time, you know, since I was thinking about the, the second wave feminist movement from the 1970s. Oh, I often refer to the second wave feminist <laughs> movement as well. It's foremost in my mind. <laughs> so I guess I wonder if it's another... 
I wonder if it will have a bigger impact, but it might take us a little while to see it. For example, if you think about what's happened in Parliament House, would it cause a politician to pause to think that their behaviour has been... Tony Abbott aside, probably never, and he's not in Parliament House anyway, but if you if there was a potential for you to get caught now, would you perhaps pause before you behaved badly? I think the, where, where the history it? will tell us about men in general, no. Right. <laughs> okay, so nothing's going to change. No, I don't think so. I think it, it might become more hidden. So what do men normally do when they have to change their behaviour? They find other ways to escalate it. So, you know, violent men, for example, do not become physically violent. They become emotionally and psychologically abusive. So that's the way they change their behaviour. Around sexual assault, well, you know, maybe they'll change their language a little bit, but maybe the meaning will be the same. So um, I don't think all that much. I don't think all that much will change until the penalties for those behaviours. So, for example, if a person physically assaults a woman or anybody for that matter, so it's cross-gender, or, or sexually assaults somebody else or harasses somebody, that they, they just lose their seat. Suddenly there has to be a by-election because that person, if they're found guilty, if there's some sort of court or appeal or whatever, and they're found to have, have committed those behaviours and they lose their seat, then that's a reasonable penalty to pay for a politician. So until there are those sort of consequences for people, the other alternative, of course, is criminal convictions because once you're criminally convicted, mm. you, you can't, can't stand hold. anyway. Yeah, yes. So so, um, so we need to get a bit more serious about it. Oh, yeah, I think so. I don't think we're serious enough. No, I, we're serious. I was thinking also about critical mass. If we do have more women, there's... Is, there's that, op- is that where you go on a Sunday, the Roman Catholic <laughs> Church? If you're, if you're anti-Roman Catholic and then go to yeah. mass, yes, it would be a critical mass. <laughs> <laughs> critical mass is the idea that if you get enough women there, and I think it's about 40%, then you get a change in culture. So the women insist on that, their presence. Oh, hold on, the on women were involved... You know, you, you criticise those women. Absolutely. Even the women that were there were involved. You know, whether Amanda Vanstone or Judy oh, Bishop. Totally. Or all those people, all I those women were bloody silent. It was a disgrace. It was a disgrace, and I have criticised They were present. They are not at 40, 40%, and I guess I'm suggesting... Well, are you assuming that 40% of the women are not complicit? <laughs> Sorry? So you're assuming that if there was 40% women in Parliament... That's usually the critical mass figure to show that there's a change in culture. Providing the, there's the, the higher percentage women of those are not to the right. toddying up. That's right. Which a lot of them are doing at the present time. So That's they need right. to be more like Julia Banks who speak up yep. and get uh, chased out. <laughs> really. But I guess if there are more who are speaking up, then there will be a, a change in culture. Yes. And I don't know, I wouldn't hang my hat on that one, actually, that there are enough women who have the courage to speak. I think there might be more now, hopefully, than there have been in the past. Yes. Thanks to Tame Thanks and to Brittany Higgins. Because, yeah, absolutely, you know, absolutely. Grace Tame was in places having spoken up about child sexual abuse and Brittany T- Higgins in terms of being uh, raped in a workplace... And that I think that has, you know, encouraged other women. And there were women before them who spoke up as well. So, you know, it, it's kind of one of those uh, standing on the Yeah. So shoulders. I guess what we're saying is that the year has been 
tumultuous. Yeah, yeah, in, in just so many different ways, COVID aside, um, and hopefully productive. Hopefully productive. I, I don't think I've ever felt so ashamed and angry about Parliament House as I was when all of that story was coming out earlier in well, the year. What did you think of Parliament House prior to all of that? I don't think I thought about it too much. At all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so perhaps that's some of my naivety. I guess I did expect them to behave a little bit better <laughs> than clearly they were, maybe. That was silly of me, wasn't it? Well, well I guess what it's done is it's highlighted for you that firstly, we do have a parliament house. I did know that. <laughs> and secondly, there are people inside it who are working. And I hadn't gone into the wrong one, like the people who, who apparently lit that fire at old parliament house, not re- realising that's really just a, a museum now. Do you reckon they didn't know that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, well, I haven't heard much about it. It's a 30-year-old bloke has been arrested from Victoria, I saw today, in relation to that. Um yeah, probably they didn't know. <laughs> they probably didn't know um, that their bigger thing, the more modern one sitting on the hill, happens to be the real Parliament House. And perhaps the security's better there? Security's heaps better, and they would never have got that close. And I don't who, think would, who would think you'd light a museum? Well, I don't think there's anything wood, wooden on the, the new Parliament House anyway. Right, okay. You know? I mean, they asked me when, when they designed it, they said, Tony, what do you and Deirdre think? Because you made decisions about. <laughs> Was I around then? <laughs> Well, yeah, well, it's a while ago. 30, 40 years ago, I guess. Um, so, so last year was a um, interesting year. Okay, so let's take us now to this year, um, 2022. You know, it's got three twos in it, so it mm-hmm. must be significant in some form or another. Mm-hmm. That is, a, That adds up to six. Realise that, you know, and six is part of the de- devil's number. Oh, we're just missing so, a couple of sixes? We are, yeah, we okay. are. So we're, we're partway towards <laughs> the devil. The devil's devil year. Of a year. A devil of a year. So I wonder what it means. I wonder what it does mean. We've got a couple of elections coming up, so we have a we bit have. of early 2022 excitement in that we know that we're having a South Australian election. There's when the election will be called for the federal election. The two options are March or May now, aren't they? Yeah, March. It has to be 30th. done by May. Yeah. Uh, well, our state election is set date. That's, so that, that's it, but the federal election? It could be later on in the year, I think. I don't know. Um, yeah, it has to be four years since the date of the previous election. I can't remember when that one was. So, yep, who knows? But they, they, they'll, he'll wait, I guess, Morrison will wait. So anyway, we've got two things happening. We've got these these elections coming up, which will determine very little, really, because, you know... We are basically a two-party system. So. <laughs> That's right. You know, so the, at the best, from. we'd have a hung parliament and some independents deciding, as we did have with Julia Gillard. Yes, yes, yes. In 2010, yeah. was that? Yep, about them. So that's to me, that's a, the best outcome. Well, unless we could find a third party. So uh, there is the uh, First Australia Party, mm-hmm. you know? They haven't got a hope in hell. There's the Conservative oh, Party. Oh, the UAP with yeah, oh, yeah, well, Clive Palmer. Palmer. Yeah, and then there's UAP. Okay. There's all these other. So, and we've got we've got people like Clive Palmer who's pe- prepared to spend millions of dollars. Yeah. I f- hope he goes broke with that. Well I, well, I think it's all about fitting the size of his ego and the size of his pants. Wonder, I, I wonder why you do that. Is, no is he worried about the mining industry collapsing or something? I think so. He's mm. worried about climate change and the impact that, that might have on him, particularly if the Greens get some sort of control. 
I would mm. think. Um, and no one gives a shit about the state election anyway. So Well, that's true too. We were told that driving from Sydney to Adelaide, it's possible to see billboards for Clive Palmer and Craig Kelly and the UAP, yeah. the United Australia Party. Yeah. And there's so there's billboards for that, and then billboards for safe driving. <laughs> and Otherwise, maybe it should be a billboard for safe electing as well, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't take any be, notice of Craig Kelly. Be a disaster. Of those people. absolute disaster. Um, but I think that he's uh, very optimistic, though. Have you seen in the poster? You know, Prime Minister from 2022, Craig Kelly. Not there. Yeah, right. Oh my God. It's true. He's touting himself as the next Prime Minister. Oh, my God. Mm. What a disaster that would be. Mm. Um, and it's completely unrealistic. I think completely what a load unreal. of crap. Yeah. You know, I guess his vice, uh, his uh, deputy prime minister would be Pauline Hanson. Yeah. <laughs> so where would we go if we felt as if the system was so bad in Australia? Where would we go? We couldn't go to England because that's... New Zealand. ...really bad. We would definitely not going to America because they've gone nuts. Yeah. So we're heading off to New Zealand. I don't know. I think we'll make Kangaroo Island just a little <laughs> colony of its own. Yeah. Or we might go to Western Australia because they would oh, have succeeded we'll by to, then. Yeah, yeah, we'll go to Western Australia. That's a good idea. Yeah. Although the downside, I did think about Western Australia, but it's a long way from the rest of the family members. It but is. It's a, it's a long so way from everybody, no matter where you live in the world. <laughs> I suppose so is New Zealand. Yeah. So the downside of New Zealand is that it's very expensive to live. Cost of living is very high. I think the uh, just finishing on this. I think I think it would be my prediction. I'm going to make a prediction okay. now, right? Yep. And my prediction is that there will be another variant, ah. which will be less. It'll be more contagious or just as contagious, but less uh, harmful. So it'll be just like the common cold, which we will now just call COVID nineteen point five zero. Okay. So we'll and will we be vaccinated against that, we'll or need what we need to be? Well, we still need to be vaccinated because if you're we'll not just vaccinated, go on to you, might, you know. But it'll just be no different from a flu vac- a flu injection because you know getting a, a flu that's vaccination. That's a regular thing a, that we do now, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that's my prediction: is there'll be another variant that'll be even more watered down, but more infectious. But now, tell me, do you think the governments will manage it better? Hold on, I'm just, I'm just going to just. Wipe my crystal ball here. <laughs> we'll manage it better than they have this current variant. Well, I think, I think the thing is that the, the government's become less fearful when they realise that they're not going to have a 1,000 deaths or, you know, as in America, 600,000 deaths, for Christ's sake, which was caused by Delta. I think that there were always deaths by um, through the flu anyway because, you know, um, people can't get pneumonia as a result of yes. the flu, it affects the lungs and so forth. I think the other thing too that we haven't considered, here I said I was going to finish this, is the long-term effect because apparently the long-term effect of, of Omicron is just as significant as the long-term effect of a Delta and Alpha. Right, if the so, c- oh, okay. So, so long-term, so long-term COVID might still be a problem. Might still be a problem, so... As I understand it, that's a little bit like uh, what's that condition where you just t- chronic fatigue? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but that's with part of compounded it. with lung well, problems and mental and well-being issues and a whole host of other stuff happens, and kidneys and livers get affected. So I think, um, and because the virus is having been with us really all that long, um, 
it's likely that there will there may be after effects that they may be good reasons why you need to still get vaccinated so you don't get a severe form of that virus and therefore don't have the long COVID problems that other people are getting. So oh, after after that positive note, we just <laughs> wish everybody the best for 2022 and keep subscribing to Conversations Over Coffee. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, take care, look after yourselves, and more importantly, be safe.